once came another man who... Style of tall. Go ahead. I'll be honest. I, I played a very high standard. Young, a superstar. Give some lessons. Determination. Was extremely Welcome to the Chess Underground. Eccentricities, peculiarities, and theoretical moments. And I felt be down in flames. My style. My style skills. I only do so. From a distance. Welcome back to the Chess Underground. Uh, we're deep in the midst of Season 2 Tournament Life. I am very excited uh, in October to be with my guest, Salmik Narayanan, who I will let introduce himself. Hello, my name is Salmik. I am a tournament player and organizer from Minnesota. I've been playing tournaments. I've been playing chess since I was nine years old. I'm 22 now, for context. I started off playing mostly like scholastic tournaments. I continued working my way up. Uh, I got really into like studying and like playing in like middle school and high school. Also in college, I started doing more in the organizing area. So I joined my university's University of Minnesota chess club. I became the president at the end of my freshman year. And I started just like organizing tournaments, seeing like what we can do. Up to like increased chess, like holding on, holding tournaments, doing things like that. Uh, more recently, near the end of college, I joined the Minnesota State Chess Association board and also the Chess Castle board. The Chess Castle is our local chess club. And since then, I've, uh, I graduated in 2019 and I, I was working for a year and now I am, I just started my PhD in computer science at Washington University in St. Louis. Wow. So so you've gone to the chess capital of, well, at, at definitely the United States. Some would say the world. Uh, I, I, I have gone there, but since everything is online, <laughs> all my classes are online, all my research is online. Right now, I'm just in home at home in Minnesota doing everything. Mostly. Ah, okay. Gotcha. But hopefully yeah. next semester or, or maybe next year. I'll go. I'll be there in person. You'll actually yeah. get to physically go to the chat. <laughs> that, that would be nice. Yeah. Right? Did that? I'm curious. Did that have any sway? You know, the fact that it was St. Louis, the fact that it was where the, the chess club and Scholastic Center of St. Louis is, all the chess hub and activity. Did that have any sway in your decision making as to where you wanted to go? Uh, I don't think it had a big sway, but it was definitely a, a plus. <laughs> a, a bonus, right? Yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, Sonic, uh, it sounds like you got started in the same way I did as a scholastic chess player um, a very long time ago. I'm, I'm curious, you mentioned, and we talked about it a little bit pre-show, your work with the University of Minnesota Chess Club. What got you into organizing? You know, what made you interested in that? And could you tell us a little bit about your experience there? It sounds like you did some great work, and I'm sure listeners would love to hear about that. Yeah. So. Basically, when I uh, started as a, a freshman, the club was like pretty small. We had meetings like once or twice a week throughout the entire year and just like club meetings where people would show up and play like Skittles or whatever. Uh, it wasn't super, uh, we didn't have any really big organize, really, uh, big like organizational, uh, events. The, actually, that was the first year that the current, the current president, organized a trip to Pan Ams in New Orleans, the Pan American Intercollegiate Tournament. Oh wow. Uh for a few years. Because sure. I think we in the University of Minnesota team went like pretty regularly in the early nineties and we actually won one of the years. Wow, congratulations. That must have been a, a strong team. I know I know that tournament has gotten pretty strong uh recently. Yeah, I think that was before like all of the GMs started showing up. I think we had <laughs> We had like a few like strong masters on our team, and that was able to win in like '92 and one of the one of those early '90 years. Okay. Uh yeah, I think the scholarships uh, started showing up in the late '90s or early 2000s. Okay. 
but yeah, uh, I don't. Since we had that really really good night team in the nineties, we hadn't been back since. But the current president really wanted to do that. It was his, it was his senior year. He wanted to go, so he did a lot of like fundraising for that, and we all uh, went down to New Orleans and we had a great time. We we were like seated in the middle and we placed slightly higher than our seating, so that was that was fun. The the Pan American tournament was sort of the first, I guess. Um you know, major intercollegiate series, as I recall. And my understanding is that for a while, there were there were some online renditions of it as well. Um, but but this one, it sounds like you played in person, correct? Yeah, this one was in, was in person in New Orleans. Okay. So in, in terms of your, your work with the club, it sounds like you soon took over. Am I hearing that correctly? Yeah. So we had an election at the end of my freshman year. I I decided to like run for president do like the day before the elections were, and it was just <laughs> there. There was one other person who was also running, uh, and he we knew he was running for a while, and I decided to run. And it was like in the spring, we normally have like a lot smaller attendance than the fall, just because there's a lot more interest in the fall. Like new freshmen join and they start coming, and in the spring that drops off. So I think during the day of the election we only had like five five people who voted uh there are a few people who like didn't who like abstained they weren't f- familiar with either of us i guess and i won the election three to two so that was really close <laughs> very very tight uh, very tight sequence this is not a netflix the politician situation right now <laughs> okay <laughs> then my uh i was i was looking at what we can do so i i found out about these grants that the University of Minnesota offers. So basically, each 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 student at, at the U pays like a small fee, and it all goes into the student service fund. And that committee uh, gives money to the clubs and organizations. So we had never gotten that before. I think one of the presidents, like two or three years ago, had applied for it and didn't get it. And I guess that had like they lost motivation to do it they're like oh chess club is never chess is never going to get that uh but i decided to try for it and the first that that spring so like a few a few weeks after i got elected the application cycle began so i really wanted to hold a big tournament um the uvm club had been holding uh what we called the golden gopher open it was a pretty big regional event uh for a few years and then it kind of uh died for two years because leadership stuff i wanted to revive it so i applied for money to hold the tournament so basically the student service fees they weren't allowed to give money as prizes but they could do pretty much everything else so basically we we were able i applied for the money we we got it so basically everything except for the prizes was taken care of we didn't have to worry about like tournament director uh, fees or the room rental fees or all of those, uh, any other like small things. Did you host the event actually at the university? Yeah. uh, We were, we applied for money and then we were debating whether to hold it at a hotel, uh, which was like two miles away from campus or on campus itself. At first we were leaning towards the hotel because that's what I had been used to as like a non uh, university student. But that sure. uh, that kind of fell through, and we kind of had viewed the U of M, the the banquet room on campus as like a backup option. But I think it ended up being way better because it allowed way more non non like competitive players, like casual players on campus, showed up. We gave them all the U of M students got free entry to the tournament. Everyone else paid like. I don't know, it was like 60 to $80, depending on the section for entry fees. And like 95% of the entry fees went back as prices, which is like crazy high, right? The average is right. probably closer to 60. But we were, we, we basically gave all of the entry fees back as prices. Uh, and it ended up being like really successful. We had uh, around 120 people, uh, 20 or 20 or so students from the U, which was more than we were expecting. And that, it was great. Yeah, and, and just for context, you know, in the upper upper Midwest, 120 player tournament is a very sizable, successful event. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the next year, we in like a five thousand dollar projected prize fund 
we ended up matching that. So that was wow, fantastic. Yeah. The next year we wanted to hold the same event. So I was like, let's go even bigger. We held it at the same place, but we had a $10,000 projected prize fund. Uh, we got 160 people total. We ended up giving like 8,000 of the 10,000, which was still really good. It was like the biggest cash tournament Minnesota had had since like the HB Global in like 2003 or something. Uh, yes, yeah, the very famous millionaire tournament, right? Yeah. The HB Global. So this was the biggest cash tournament we'd had since for like a decade. Wow. So that was fun. We also like, so we had a lot of like fun things. Like we gave like snacks to all of the players between rounds and stuff and the U of M. The, the grants paid for all of that. So that was fun. You had mentioned that this, you know, led you to, I guess, what, what you termed as grant writing experience, right? Um, would you have any tips? I know, I know a lot of organizers are really not in into chess organizing for the money. They're more in it for the fun and for providing a good event for players. Um, I know this was very specific as you, you sort of got funding from the university, but would, would you have any tips for grant writers in terms of how you were so successful pulling this off? I think the key is to really show who's funding you, what's in it for them. So for the, mm. like the Golden Gopher Open, it was like kind of the prestige of having this big tournament. We were also applying money for Pan Ams, right? So we had, we got money. I think the next year we sent the entire team like driving to Ohio and that was good. The year after we applied money, it was in San Francisco. I don't remember. I don't, I didn't go this year because I was kind of like on my way out, but we, that was like, uh, too far away. So we actually had the entire team fly and the UVM club paid for that. Uh, and that's kind of like sportsy, right? So it's like you're paying for like the procedure of having your team compete. But I think one of the bigger examples, we were, we also held a scholastic tournament, uh, the go for a scholastic championship or something. I think that's what we called it. And what we were like kind of emphasizing was that, oh, we have all of these like really smart players who are in like elementary school, middle school, and we want them to like, who like live in the cities and we want them to stay here and actually go to the U of M when they get into college. Uh, so that's why we, we kind of said, oh, if we have this like really prestigious, great tournament, then more people will be pushing, more people will be inclined to stay here as opposed to leave the state. We're giving them a reason in other words, right? Yeah, I guess like one of the, one of my personal motivations when I was in middle school, I went to this chess camp. Uh, called St. Olaf Chess Camp. Yes, I'm familiar with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's, it was like a hour, an hour and a half south of Minneapolis. And before I had gone to that camp, I'd, I'd never heard of that college, but that kind of like made me aware of that map, aware of that college. So I wanted to do like something similar for the U. And I guess the U of M grant writers bought it and they gave us the money to hold that. So the so if I'm if I'm hearing you correctly, the what's in it for them was keep the homegrown keep the homegrown talent, make them aware of what you're doing here and, and the, the presence, and that's the benefit. Yeah, I mean, there's going to if you're not uh, applying for money from a college, every everyone who's giving you money has their own reasons. You just got to like find it and right, right. That makes sense. You know, honestly. Um, I went to another Midwestern university myself. I went to Iowa State, and and they had sort of the same problem. You know, a lot of a lot of the young kids growing up, the talented, you know, um, bright students, were leaving the state. And I remember that was a big deal and a big issue. Um, so that's a that's a great angle, honestly. Especially you know if you're hosting the tournament on campus property, right? They get to they get to see what's happening and uh, experience that. Oh yeah, I think with with this classic tournament, we really got to highlight some of the stuff on the campus. There was like uh, mm -hmm. a bowling alley in that building, so we like paid for all of the kids to go bowling between rounds. Uh, we had oh, wow. we had a cool. we had a like a lecture by uh, I think it was John Bartholomew. He gave a lecture to all the kids, and also there was a raptor center. So they came and did a bird show for all of the kids in between one of the rounds too. A raptor center. Okay, I got to say, that sounds like something straight out of Jurassic Park. Yeah, not a velociraptor, just like uh, eagles <laughs> and hawks and stuff. So they did a show okay. for all the kids. All the kids were like huddled around like uh, the the person who was giving it. And it was all really fun. So it was a chess tournament with bowling and live eagles. 
yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's got to be a first. I have to say, I don't think I've ever heard of. I mean, my very first guest on the Chess Underground um, was attempting to run a tournament at a zoo. And I guess that's maybe a close second. I don't think they had, you know, like live eagles, you know, swooping in and, and saying hello to the participants. So that's got to be a first, I think. Yeah, and all, and all the kids really loved it. Uh, and the parents really liked it, too. They were really happy with all of, all of the like special events we were doing in between rounds. That's a great idea. You know, I think when you go to, uh, I'm sure you've gone to, you know, like a Chicago Open or a big tournament like that, you know, you the yeah. in between rounds is basically just find something to eat, maybe find a place to nap if you have time, and then there's not much else to do, right? <laughs> right? It's just like you're on your own. Yeah. Um, it's up to you. And, and for adult players, I think adults greatly appreciate the downtime. You know, I think um, when you're playing a major event like that, if you're doing well, especially you want to try to rest, you want to try to relax, you want to take that downtime. But kids are different, you know. A lot of times their games finish sooner, they have longer breaks in between the games, so they're looking for something to to keep keep that attention and keep them invested in, in the events of the day. So that's a really, really cool idea that you came up with there. Yeah, especially because like, you have a time control of like 30 minutes, so you have to keep at least like one hour between the rounds. But most kids, or at least a, lo- a large m- amount of the kids, are going to be done in 15 yes. minutes. <laughs> so what do they do for the rest of the 45 minutes? We send them to the bowling alley. That's really cool. You know, um, so was it a case where they could just, you know, you, you had a deal set up where they could just go in, get some shoes in the ball and bowl for 30 minutes and come back or something? Well, I, I assume it was prearranged, I guess is what I'm trying to ask. Yeah, it was prearranged with the, the bowling center. I don't, we had, we paid like some flat rate, which the grant, the grant money took care of anyway. But yeah, so then basically the kids didn't have to worry about the cost. They just went in and they said, oh, I'm with the chess tournament pick up shoes and bowl. Very cool. So, so Samik, you know, hear, hearing all of this, I'm not the least bit surprised at um, some of the creative inventive stuff you've been doing since COVID hit. Um, you know, with over-the-board tournaments largely um, shut down for a long period of time, although I have seen a couple creeping their way back now. Of course, you're probably familiar with uh, the Altibox Norway event that just concluded. Um, yeah. with some of the top players. Um, but, I, but I understand you've, you've moved your organizing prowess, let's say, online in a couple of different ways. The first one was, was one I wasn't familiar with until you, you mentioned it today, which was the Minnesota Online Grand Prix. Uh, did I get the name right? Yeah. Could you tell me a little bit about that and, and what your ideas were and how that came about? So basically in the beginning of March, we all realized that over-the-board tournaments are basically going to go away for the foreseeable future. Mm-hmm. We had no idea how long it would be, but we knew that at least for the next two months, we wouldn't have any tournaments. So uh, the Minnesota State Justice Association Board, we voted to cancel all of our tournaments for some amount of time in the future. And also the Chess Castle, our club, stopped holding tournaments. So to kind of fill in that gap, a lot of us were thinking about just having like casual tournaments online on Lee Chess. Okay. So what I wanted to do was basically organize all of those tournaments together because there were a bunch of different groups who were putting these on. Like, so there were some like kids who were putting in, putting like tournaments for their, for their friends. Uh, the U of M chess club was holding some online tournaments. I had graduated since, uh, one of the high schools was holding tournaments. Uh, there were other organizations. So basically I just grouped them all together, put them on like one spreadsheet. I made the spreadsheet available for everyone. I'm saying, okay, here we have all of these tournaments. Uh, you can play in as many as you want. They're all like Lee Chess Arena, so same format. Different time controls, perhaps, but okay. uh, consistent. So they're like, you can see all of the tournaments we have. Uh, play in as many as you want. For each tournament, you end up with that many points, and that's how many points you get towards the Grand Prix. And at the end of the week, we, at, we see who, ha- who has gotten the most points, and uh, we give them some prizes. So the, I, I pushed the MSCA to just give like $100, allocate $100 per week towards this, which they agreed to do. So then we had like lots of prizes. We had lots of class prizes too. So we had scholastic, scholastic prizes, K8, K6, things like that. And also U20, 200, all the way down to like U1200. Uh, so the first week we had, let's see, we had around 100, 110 unique players. Okay. Now, were these all Minnesotans, or were they? Was it open to anybody? 
it was open to everyone, but I mean, we only advertised it in Minnesota at first. Okay. Uh, we had 14 tournaments in the first week. We, wow. Uh, so you could play in two a day <laughs> if you wanted. Yeah, to. we had, we had, we had two a day except for Sunday, but there was only one. Okay. Uh, and we had a bunch of different, uh, setups. So most, most of them were Lee chess tournaments, but there were a few or one or two that were just like more traditional tournaments. On Saturday, we had, I ran a Swiss tournament. Mm -hmm. Uh, basically I just paired everything using Swissys, copied the pairings into another Google sheet so people could see that and fill in the results. And also I ran quads on a sun on Sundays. Okay. Uh, after a few, this was like novel for the first, um, few weeks after that, like, Attendance started going down, so we were kind of changing format. So instead of thirteen a week, it was maybe like seven a week, mm -hmm. and then then it was like, and then we started instead of doing a weekly, we started doing a monthly. So it was like we did a few weeks, and then starting in May, it was just like the entire May month. It was like two or three tournaments a week. We started, uh, we were holding, but yeah, we it was fun. We have all of the standings available live. You can see who played in every single event, how many points they got, and the standings are public. Wow. That, you know, that's really cool. I mean, to just transition almost seamlessly from over the board to not only do we have, you know, a lot of, a lot of events going on right now, but we're going to find a way to tie them together. I, I imagine that was pretty popular. Did you get some feedback on, on that from the players? Yeah, yeah, people, people generally liked it. So then I think one of the things that we were doing, so like the Swiss tournaments that I was holding, I was thinking, at first, they were just like for free, but uh, as I think, what, once the USCF started talking about having like an online category for tournaments, we wanted we started rating rating the tournaments, and I wanted to like make it bigger. So we had a few uh, cash tournaments with there was like a nominal like ten or fifteen dollar entry fee, and we'd give most of it bar, uh, most of it back as prizes. So the, I think we had like three or four cash tournaments. The biggest one had like a twenty five hundred dollar prize funded, like. 200 players who signed up. Wow. Uh, and that was from all, that was players all across the country. Cause we, I sent a USA email right. blast to players. I'm sure if you, if you're listening, you might've gotten one of those emails <laughs> and perhaps played. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. So we had, uh, we had like, we had a few grandmasters play people, people from other countries, even, mm. uh, mostly America, but, Definitely, those those tournaments weren't Minnesota centric. It was very broad, and we we continued holding these until August when I was, uh, when like school was sure. starting, and I I was too busy to like really hold this. And also, the other person who was helping out with this, Andrew okay. Titus, he was also the other co organizer of the Grand Prix. He was busy. He he started college too, so we just kind of wrapped this up. But it, it was definitely going strong for like what eight. March, April, May, June, July, August. So like five or six right. months we had tournaments. And around that time, around the August time frame, I believe you were also getting pretty busy with, with some something else, another chess organized activity, um, which I I have actually been pretty enamored with myself as well as a fan, which is the States Cup. Um, now the States Cup, for those of our listeners who, who haven't heard of it or who, who don't know much about it, is also taking place online, and maybe you could give a little background on just you know what exactly the States Cup is, what the format is, and then there's a few details I, I'd really like to get into about it. With you. Yeah, so in June or July, we uh, we the, Frank Johnson, he's a local player, like local master. He organized a match between Minis a chess match between Minnesota and Manitoba. Okay. So the history of this match. It's been it's go gone back since like 1935. Uh, there's been it kind of it's just like an on and off thing. I I don't exactly know the history going back all the way, but I know the most recent match was won by Manitoba in the 90s. Okay. Uh, so yeah, Frank wanted to uh, put it on again, and he's very he's very familiar with all of the. Manitoba players now because he he used to live in the Twin Cities for a long time. Then he moved to I I don't remember the name of it, but it's like the county that borders Manitoba, North Dakota, and Minnesota in that corner. <laughs> okay, all right, the three corners, not yeah. the four corners. Yeah, 
So he moved there and he, he knew a lot of Manitoba players. So he wanted to put this on. So we did. I helped him with like some of the logistics, like, like how to put, put the pairings and advertise it and things. And it was, it was really fun. Minnesota ended up blowing out Manitoba because I guess we've gotten better since the nineties. <laughs> Or maybe, I mean, maybe it's possible, like, the best Manitoba players aren't as interested in online play, and we have a deeper base of, like, kids who are more interested in that kind of thing. Yeah, I would imagine larger population as well tends to give you an advantage. Yeah. Uh, I, we had, we had some rules set up, like, average lineup. We had, we had two, we had two lineups. One lineup under 2200, the other, uh, under 2000. It was, we, uh, Frank wanted to hold it, like, similar to, like, the Pro Chess League style. So it's like four versus four and it was all live streamed. So players from both Minnesota and Manitoba were watching the commentary put on by Frank Johnson. Uh, so that was really fun. And I thought if we can play a match against Manitoba, why can't we play one against like Iowa or Wisconsin or Illinois or some of the other, those other teams? So I started right. about sure. thinking of ways to do that. And then I realized if everything's going to be online anyway, there's no real, there's no reason to limit ourselves to the upper Midwest. We could play against states from all across the country. Right. So what I, I was just, uh, brainstorming like format ideas. And I, so I think in late June, maybe, uh, early July, I, I sent emails to all of the state associations, uh, proposing this with like a consistent format. I only got responses from two 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 associations, uh, which oh, was wow. yeah most most people st- didn't respond, uh, which was a little disappointing. But I guess I wanted to keep going with it. So instead of going through the state associations, I was just trying to find like people who I knew or like friends of friends and stuff who are in different sure. states. So a lot of people I reached out to were actually players from the big tournaments I hold. So like when I had the tournament with 200 people and a $2,500 price run, lots of people were like high rated players from out of state who I assumed could like find nearby people, uh, people who I'd already met over my years playing tournaments and also people, well-connected people that I knew knew even more people. So once, once we were just like reaching out to people individually, it, we started like getting more people slowly. Uh, yeah, and eventually we were, I think this was definitely the hardest part, trying to find, like, who would be able to manage the team. Because I didn't want to, uh, like, organize this, like, all by myself. I, I, there's no, there's no way I can find Yeah, that's a large, a large undertaking, right, to, to manage, yeah. Yeah, so basically I just needed to find, like, a captain from each state who could, like, represent their state, and, like, they would be in charge of, like, rosters and everything like that. So... In the end, I was able to find like around 30 captains. So okay. we started formalizing more rules, uh, making them like final, uh, brainstorming, like how we, how can we change this, uh, to make everyone happy? Obviously, there's, there's some things that no one's going to be happy with. Uh, one of the things in particular were, uh, how are we going to handle like anti cheating? So some people wanted the, uh, like external cameras, like facing behind everyone. Some people just thought, oh, it's, it's casual. There's no really reason to have any cheating. So we had to balance all of that when we were coming up mm-hmm. with our, uh, format. But eventually it was like late August and I thought we were like pretty well, pretty good to go. So I put together a, a bracket, a schedule for all of the teams and put it online so everyone could see it and plan the, League. So the schedule, how it works, there are four divisions, the East Division, the Central Division, the South Division, and the West Division. Mm-hmm. Uh, each of them originally had eight teams. Uh, we, ac- uh, we actually had a, a number of teams from the South drop off. So what ended up, what ended up happening was we had eight teams in the East, Central, and West, and five in the South. It was okay. something between like four and six, and we ended up with five. Because some teams were like leaving in the middle, and some teams came came in in the middle. Uh, I think I, overall, I'm pretty happy with the uh, amount of people. We, like we we pretty much got all of like the big like chess states, except for uh, Texas and Tennessee. 
uh, in my opinion. Hmm, that's surprising. I mean, Texas, I would imagine, you know, would field a team for something like this. Yeah, Texas, it's like, I mean, if you, we split up California into two. So Texas is the biggest state in the country. And they couldn't, they, we weren't able to find anybody from Texas who was willing to captain the team. <laughs> I sent All right, email. so te- Texas listeners to this show, you know where to go. Saul McNarayanan. We can get we can get his contact info for you. We need a Texas. I feel like there needs to be a Texas team in this event. Yeah, absolutely. I emailed I, like I started off emailing like the Texas Association. I couldn't. No one really responded. So then I emailed like all of like the red like I like I went like through all of the cities in Texas. I found like clubs for all of them. Like even like the medium sized ones. I sent them emails and I didn't get anyone. So that was a little unfortunate. I yeah, guess. that that is that is disappointing. I agree. You know I. Just so they know what they're missing out on, because we we want a Texas team in this. I have to say, I think it's really cool um, in terms of, I want to get into some of the details here about the event, but every week, not only are there matches between state and state, and I, throughout my years as a chess player, Sonic, I've made friends in a lot of different chess playing states, as I'm sure you can imagine. And, you know, I'll, I'll wake up to see my, in my email inbox in the morning, you know, uh, an email, you know, it'll say something like Colorado versus Kansas tonight, you know, so-and-so is streaming and we need this win to try to make the playoffs and that sort of thing. So there's a lot of excitement, I think, between the players and the local organizers, first of all. But every every week, every match, every team also has a nominated team streamer, correct? Yeah. Who's live broadcasting the match with commentary on Twitch so all of the fans of that team, or uh, or the other team, I suppose too, can watch that stream. They can watch the stream of the enemy team. They can watch the stream of their own team, and they can follow along with the match as it's happening live. I just think it's a really cool format, um, and so it would it would be great uh, to have. You know, obviously, you want one hundred percent participation, but especially from the big states, would be fantastic. Not to miss out on on an experience like this. The format. So basically, we I, I kind of modeled this on the Pro Chess League because I really liked how the Pro Chess League worked. It was a really, at least before this year, they changed the format a lot this year. So it's more country-wide instead of like club-wise. But uh, at least in years prior, like everyone in Minnesota was really excited about the Blizzard. Uh, at the U of M, we had like watch parties like every week. And we'd have like a dozen people who were just like in the in our meeting room, like watching the watching it happen live. And it was all really, really exciting. Cool. And the Blizzard, for those who don't know, is the is the Minnesota Pro Chess League team. Yeah, it, it was, I guess, before it got consolidated. Right. Uh, yeah. So I, I I personally have less interest now because Minnesota doesn't have a team, but I'm I'm sure, I'm sure I'm, it's, it seems to still be going well. Uh, but yeah, so I just wanted to do something like similar, but instead of just like teams that chess.com picks, it'd be like any state in the country can play and in order to make it like more of a level playing field so we wouldn't just have like i don't know missouri or new york taking out everyone uh with those uh 2200 rating cap similar to like a u.s amateur team event right yeah, where so, your your average team rating has to be below 22 yeah so each week uh the state has picks four people who form a roster under 2200 and they play match against the other team it's f- four rounds of game in 15 plus two so each player plays four matches once against every other person, and whoever gets more than eight points wins the match. I think that's an interesting format, the the all play all, which is which is unique to me because you know you never know which board. It, it's not like a, it's not like the U.S. amateur team in that respective perspective respect, uh, respect. That's the word I'm looking for, where you know you don't have just board one versus board one. You know, you never know which board matchup is going to ultimately determine the match. So I imagine there's a little bit, a little bit more like strategy there in terms of how you fill out the roster, right? Yeah, there's a lot of strategy that goes in. At least speaking for the Minnesota team, there's a lot of strategy, and I think it's just more exciting because you can see there's like so many upsets that could happen. Like if you're board four upsets the opponent board one, which is which happens not too infrequently. That's always like it puts it. It's always really exciting, and it gives you. A set. You want to like put the people on your team who can, who you think will have a good chance of not only like beating the people at their rating, but upsetting pirated players. Right, and sometimes you know, like at the U.S. Amateur team, you'll see really weird team builds. You know, like I remember a couple of years at the U.S. Amateur Team North, 
it would be essentially like three grandmasters and a 1300, you know, to balance out the rating and make sure they're below 2200. Yeah. I kind of get the sense that that team format might not work so great in a, in a setting like this where the 1300 would have to play four games. Actually, I think uh, that, that team format might work better in this. But the, we got really? around. Okay. Yeah, because I mean, if you have like three grandmasters, they're each going to go, if they each go 4 no, that's you win the match 12-4. Right, that's true. That's a good point. Yeah. Um, so the way we kind of avoided that is by putting a floor of eighteen hundred. So basically, if you have, if you put anyone on your team who's rated less than eighteen hundred, they count as eighteen hundred towards the match. Oh, now that is interesting. Okay, I didn't, I didn't under, I didn't know that there was a, an eighteen hundred floor for the players. That is interesting. And I like that it's inclusive, you know, where, hey, if we can't find an 1800, that's fine. You can have whoever you want play. They're still going to count as an 1800. Yeah. So that kind of gives the small, I guess, the smaller states, more of a smaller population states, more of a level playing field, too, because you're not going to have, like, even like Minnesota, you're not going to have 32600 players. Well, I, I could, I definitely see New York, if they, if they were allowed to, they could put three grandmasters on the team. So it gives more states more of a more of a chance, which makes it more exciting overall. I think. Wow! Yeah, no kidding. I mean, that's um, that's that's a cool idea. How did you come up with that? And was there some discussion on it, or was it a no? We're doing this. You know, there's no debate. Uh, I mean, I I just pro- I proposed it, and everyone seemed to like it. I I think chess.com well, for the Pro Chess League they had a f- rating ceiling, so that anyone who counted over twenty seven hundred would only Anyone who was rated over 2,700 would count as 2,700 towards the lineup because they wanted to encourage higher rated players to play. It make it makes it makes it more interesting for them if you have say Magnus playing. So we it was just like the same thing except we want to have a more equal. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, I, I think you know obviously anything that encourages not only equality but inclusivity is is a great idea. Now. You had mentioned before, and I wanted to follow up on this, about the team captains and their responsibilities. I followed along, you know, you had you had sent a note to me in my position with US Chess early on about the States Cup, and I followed along for a while in the Discord. Um, could you just give a little bit of information about how that's organized, you know, what the team captain responsibilities are, um, and, and some of the additional rules in terms of getting the match set up and getting the teams playing? Sure. So... Basically, all communication about the league happens in Discord. Uh, for for viewers who don't know, Discord is a chat platform, is similar to like Microsoft Teams or Slack, where you have like like channels and things where to like kind of organize the flow of conversation so it doesn't all uh, overwhelm each other. So you have like a few channels which are basically for everyone. It's like anyone, any spectator can comment along with the match. Uh, we have team channels. So ev- everyone from a state has their own team channel. So like Minnesota, all of the Minnesota players like talk about lineups and matches and stuff. And you, all other states do that too. Uh, we have a few channels that like administrative. So all the captains can talk in one channel. So that's where we kind of were bouncing back and forth ideas. We, I sent emails to all of the, uh, captains, invited them to the discord so they would be able to see like what's happening. So basically, uh, I, I sent a preliminary list of rules to all of the captains in the Discord, and we modified that over the course of like two weeks. So everyone is more or less happy. And yeah. So in terms of captain responsibilities, I set up all of the schedule and match, match forms online. So. For any for any given match, you just click on the link and it takes you to a public Google Sheet so you can see like the updated standings, the players, the uh, their ratings, the rating average, which uh, the links to the games, what colors they're playing. So basically, all of that information is there. So what the captains have to do is before the match starts, we have they have to uh, fill out who the who their players are. At the beginning of the league, it was you had to fill it out by Saturday, and we changed that after some captains asked. So now it's basically you have to submit the roster, but at least forty-eight hours in advance. 
So if your match is on Thursday at 8 p.m., you have to fill it out by Tuesday. So that gives like your opponents a little time to prepare if they want. And also it doesn't lead to situations where it's like it's half an hour before the match and you don't have a roster. Because that, that's hard for the organizers. Right. Are late replacements allowed? You know, let's say I have a player who, I, I mean, it could be anything, right? Gets ill, has to has some conflict. Are, are replacements allowed at all? They're allowed. You are, you're subject to a one-point penalty, match penalty. Okay. Oh, interesting. Okay, so for example, if we're playing basically to eight and a half points, right? Yeah. Well, now the, the other team only has to get seven and a half points because they've got one point to start. Uh, so basically, if um, Minnesota's playing Iowa, Minnesota, um, it'd be uh, eight and a half, seven and a half wins. Then if Minnesota submits it late, then it becomes seven and a half, seven and a half, which is a, a draw, a tie match. Interesting. Okay. Interesting. Or a nine, seven, a nine, seven match would become eight, seven. So that's still a win, but it's worse for your tie breaks. Right. Right. And now tie breaks matter because as I understand, there's a playoff. Now is this, is the playoff format to determine the ultimate champion, is that similar to a USAT where you have the nor- the uh, you know like the north, south, east, and west teams all all play each other, or how does that work? Yeah, so the regular season it's just a seven week round robin between all of the states in the division because there's eight teams. So none of the teams in the east, for example, are playing any teams in the central or west. Uh, it's only the teams inside that division. So at the end, the top two teams in each division go on to a playoff and the playoffs is just a three or four round uh single elimination bracket uh, we kind of modified the playoff rules slightly because to kind of balance things out because the south had a smaller field so there's two additional wild card teams that could be from either the east central or west so now you have teams from the east central and west uh caring about each other's caring about other divisions because it matters for their wild card. I think that's a, it it wasn't originally planned like that, but I think it's more exciting because it gives people a reason to care about all the matches instead of just the division ones. Sure. Yeah. That makes sense. So I think in a future, in a future, in a future edition of this league, I'll try to come up with more rules so that people care about each other's divisions. But yeah, uh, we have the bracket at the end and the winner is whoever wins the matches in their playoffs. And all of these games, just just in case people want to view, they're all played on Lee Chess, correct? Yeah. Is there a set schedule in terms of what time they're played and, and how to watch and that sort of thing? Yeah, there is. Um, I don't know. There's a. I can send. There's a, a link. You can just go to the schedule, and that'll just take you to the Google Sheet where you can see like all of the information and like there's like a subdirectory of links. So if you want to see just the East matches, you click on that link and it'll take you to a different sheet. But if you're on the main sheet, you can see everything. You can select the schedule for everything. Fantastic. I set an initial schedule based on just like the round robin Berger tables, uh-huh. and I I, ga- I I gave matches times. But uh, if both the captains agree, they can change the date of the match. Okay. So if I say that, I don't know, California South is playing Oregon on Thursday and both captains are like, no, no, I think Wednesday is better for us. Then they, they have the right to change to move the day around. Okay. Very cool. As long as it, as long as the match, as long as the match results get in at some point. Right. Right. Now does, does each match need to, I assume there's like a, a weekly schedule, right? Like we need to know the result this week or, or by a certain date, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, People will just, people, you have to, you can change it within that week. Got it. Okay. So if your match is on Thursday, you could make it so it's like it happens four days earlier or two days later, but you can't have it happen two two weeks later. Very cool. So I'm curious. I know we're, we're getting towards the final stages of the States Cup. I've seen, you know, as I mentioned, I get some emails from some of the local players and and within the various states. Um, And I've seen, you know, some, some commentary about a playoff push or we need, we need so and so to beat so and so, so our tie breaks are better. Um, do do you have the? Do you know or do you have the final playoff teams yet, or are there still some divisions that have yet to be decided? Uh, there is it, the, the last week of the regular season is going on right now. Okay. So if you look if you look online, you can we can see that Michigan has already clinched first place in the East Division, 
Okay. Uh, second place is going to come down to either New York or New Jersey. They're playing later this week. Mm-hmm. If the West Division, California North and Washington have clinched the top two spots. Uh, tie breaks. I don't know who's going to be first seed and second seed based on tie breaks. The tie breaks are pretty close. Uh, I like, uh, tie breaks are US, US, the US amateur team style. So basically all the matches matter. Wow. Okay. That makes sense. All right. Um, and the playoffs when they, when they begin, are, are they going to be paired sort of by seeding or how does that work? Obviously there's going to be wild cards too, right? Do, do teams get a buy, I guess? Yeah. So there's the, there's in the, in the first week, it's going to be this Saturday. There's going to be two wild card matches, uh, with the South, with South division players. Okay. And after that, uh, it'll just be the two teams in the East play against each other, two teams in the South, Central and West play. Uh, and higher seed is good because it gives you draws. So right, if you, uh, beat, if you're the, if you're Michigan and you beat, say, New York, it, if you, the match score ends up eight to eight, you, you, you advance. And then once we get out of the divisions, then it's, uh, there's a blitz tiebreak format. Okay. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. So I like that. I like that it's kind of like the old world champion, right? You got to beat the world champion to win. You can't, you can't get a draw and, and, uh, and claim match victory. But but if you get a tie and you're the higher rated team, you move on, right? Yeah, very cool. So I, I think right now the the biggest, the most exciting division right now, no bias, is the Central. Okay. Because basically everything is up at, everything is up in the air still. Uh, you have the top four teams in the division all playing against each other, which is just coincidental, but it makes it really exciting. You have Minnesota and Iowa who are playing against each other. Okay. For uh, the winner is becomes first seed in the central and the loser is almost certainly out of the playoffs really <laughs> wow yeah wow and for the second seed you have uh illinois and missouri the winner becomes the second seed in the division and the loser's out wow just straight out no no chance at a, at a tie break sticking around yeah because the way it works i think the winner of michigan the winner of uh missouri and illinois will have higher tie breaks than the loser of minnesota and iowa Wow. So they'll get overtaken. And then there's still the third wildcard spot. I think in all likelihood, the first wildcard spot is going to go to the East, uh, third place team in the East. And the mm-hmm. wildcard is going to go to the third place team in the West. So there's, very, there's not so much, uh, tiebreak, not so much wildcard odds for any of us in the Central. So you just got to win wow. it. Win, win and you're in, or or else you're done. You're done for. Yeah. So basically, in the central uh, playoffs started a week early. That's really cool. But, I mean, it, it's always nice, you know, in in any sport when you have that drama at the end of the quote unquote season, right? And it, it sounds like you've definitely got it here. Yeah, yeah. I think in uh, future seasons in the league, I'll try to, uh, I guess tweak the schedule so that the more exciting matches happen at the end. It just mm. so happened to work like that for the central. Uh, but I'll try to make it so like that happens for all the matches, for all the divisions too, because exciting finishes are what we want. We're going to, I bet we'll yeah. have a lot of people watching the stream tonight because Minnesota is playing Iowa tonight. It's going to be Oh, wow. Really, okay. Really October 20th, Minnesota, Iowa. I'm going to try to watch. I, unfortunately, I have to tell you, I'll be rooting for Iowa. <laughs> <laughs> so Samik, you know, that was going to be one of my questions too. And it, it sounds like you've already given me my answer. Is there going to be another edition of this? I, I, as a fan, I've thought it's really cool. I hope there is. I hope even after we return to, you know, more normal times, this will continue. It sounds like you plan to have future seasons. Yeah, I, I, I think there will be. I don't know what the format is. So once this, once the, League is over this season, at least. We're going to send some like feedback forms from like everyone who took part to see okay. what they liked, what they didn't like, how we could modify it for future seasons. And then we'll try to do it again. I, I have no idea when that will be. It might, it might be in a few months. It might be next year. We'll, we'll see what, we'll see what the captains are feeling. Great. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Um, I, I would love to participate in some capacity. In a future season, I, I, in this season, I've had a, a blast as a fan just watching all the matches. You know, especially when my two home states of Illinois and Iowa faced off. That was a fun match. 
um, where Illinois actually took a point penalty for uh, for a roster uh, snafu, I guess would be the right term. Yeah. So that was a cool match. But I've had I've had a lot of uh, I've gotten a lot of enjoyment out of watching not only the games. You know, you can watch the games themselves. Just log in and follow your favorite player and leech us. But also the match commentary has been really cool as well. And I believe there's links to the streamers also, right? We've got those posted somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, you can find uh, who's streaming the matches too. Okay. The ma- uh, like, there's so many matches that are really exciting. Like last week, we played uh, Minnesota played Illinois, and we were down five and a half to seven and a half with three games to go, and we managed to sweep those last three games. Wow. And win the match. So that was really intense. That's that's quite a comeback. That kind of kept, kept our playoff hopes alive. Yeah, I mean, that's quite a comeback. Illinois, I, I don't know who their roster was last week, but their team is pretty good. <laughs> when I when I watched it, their team was pretty strong. Yeah, basically, on the top three boards, there was uh, three Masters playing against each other, and we and each Master match, we won. Wow. Wow, very nice. So what we'll do, I think, Samik, is we will I will get those links from you. We'll post it along with the show. It'll be in the show notes. So listeners out there, if you're interested in following along, by the time this show goes live, it'll be playoff time. So if you're interested in following along with the playoffs, and you can also watch the recaps of some of the streams. So if you want to watch the recap of these critical matches going on tonight that uh, Samik and I were just discussing, you can go back, you can find who streamed them. Most streamers have an archive of their stream for at least two weeks, some longer. Um, so you can catch catch up on all that action. We'll get those links p- published and put out in the show notes, and and you'll be able to follow along. Um, so that'll be great, and and hopefully, you know, Samik, what I would love to see is a fifty state participation in this. But at, at the very least, let's try to get the big ones. Let's try to get Texas in there. <laughs> yeah, for season two, uh, we might we might we might play around with the. The format too, so it might not be the round robins next time. Depending on how people like it, it might be a different format. But this worked well this this time at least. Yeah, and I think you know, like like I said, I've I've been following with great interest. I, I think it was a cool format. I, I liked watching. You know, you know, everybody's going to have to play everybody. Um, I, I liked watching that. I liked seeing those matchups, you know, on, on every board and, and going through the, the list of your team and, and facing the entire other team, I thought was pretty neat. Um, so I thought it was cool. My, my, my vote would be keep it as is in terms of the format, but I also know that whatever you come up with will be fun and creative because this certainly was. Thank you. So as you're organizing these online events, uh, how is it different than say an in-person one? What additional steps or things do you do? Yeah. So one so in in person events it's usually pretty smooth right you just uh pull up your program manager uh like i, I in minnesota we use swissus and you just uh, print out the results people report the results and uh you enter them into the software so but with online tournaments there's a lot more uh complications and options so first of all like when you when you're talking about like chess.com or leechess they have these built-in tournament uh, setups. So you have like arenas or you have like Swiss-style tournaments. Right, and you had mentioned, you know, in terms of the Grand Prix, many of them were arena events, correct? Yeah, uh, but there were a few uh, events that weren't arenas. So when we were, when, whenever we're holding quads, basically I, ha- I would just uh, get all the list of people and then I'd break them up into like quads and post like quad pairings on the on the spreadsheet for that week, uh, mm-hmm. for that day. But for Swiss, there's a lot uh, there's a lot more uh, options uh, because just like using the built-in like Leechess or Swiss or Ch- Leechess or Chess.com Swiss things, there's a lot of downsides. So I mean, the biggest thing is you you basically you give up all control over pairings. So. Right. If you want to do say accelerated pairings, then that's not possible. If you want to avoid pairing like siblings, you can't do that either. It's just whatever the site is going to give you. That's what you've got. Yep, that's that's it. Uh, also, there's no issue like if people want to have like buys in between, you can't do mm-hmm. that. So what I did is I wanted to use Swissys uh, the same way I've been using it in person, but uh, transition that to online. 
So initially what I was doing was you would take your, you'd enter everyone in just, uh, my, my, my home computers was this, uh, thing. It would generate the pairings and I'd copy paste that into Google sheets so that when people are done, they can just fill in the results themselves. Okay. Um, so that worked, but it, once we got to like, tur- like Swiss tournaments of over say 50 people, it became a little like, unwieldy. Right. Because people would like have trouble, like challenge the wrong person or they would, uh, enter in the results wrong or something like that. Okay. And that became, it, it, it just became annoying. So instead I, I, I put in like a weekend or so and I actually wrote my own program, my own software program, which integrated, uh, Leechus, like the Leechus API, uh, okay. Google Sheets and SwissSys. So basically it would handle all, 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 all the pairings and re- reporting results automatically. Wow. Okay. So I assume if I'm kind of understanding how this works, it would pull the pairings from SwissSys and then post them on Google Sheets. Am I, am I hearing that right? Or how exactly, what's the, what's the mechanism there? Yeah. So you'd generate the pairings as normal in SwissSys and save it to a file. Okay. And then you run the program. So the, the program would go through, it would see, oh, here are all of the pairings. Uh, it'll post all of them to a new tab in the Google Sheets uh, so people can see what's going on. But also, it will generate a pairing link and send that link to all of the players directly in Leechus. Oh, cool. And that link, I assume, is like a match command? Yeah. So instead of having the players, find, they need to look up their opponent's name and username and issue the challenge. It would just automatically generate the link with the correct time control, with the correct colors, because that, that was issues that came up too. So it would create the correct match. It would send the link to both players. So once they click the link, the game would just start. And then once the game finished, Leechus would give me a notification. It would give the program a notification. So the match result would be, would be, would move right back from Leechus to Google Sheets. So like literally the second the game finished, the Google Sheet would update with the, with the match result and the game link. Wow. Okay. Cool. So I, I assume you were able to use this and both um, your pretty much any online tournament format that you ran can can use it on multiple servers or is it Leechus only? Uh, it's it's Leechus only because okay. Leechus has a open source API. Right. So basically, it, it makes it very easy to like integrate like to program with. Okay. Uh, there were a few additional steps, uh, additional things with Leechus that I would have liked to do. Uh, there were like some authorization things. Instead of sending the links, it could just like start the match automatically. Uh, it wasn't particular, it wasn't necessary, but it would, it would have been nice to have. Right. The other thing is like this, this worked, but it was also a bit difficult to use. Uh, like I, I could make it work, but I also, I've, I made all of this code open source. You, so you can just go to like GitHub and see the code. So if you know how to program, uh, you could run all of this yourself. Very cool. If you want to run it, you have to like set up Python. You have to set up all of this stuff. And I mean, it worked for me. You know, my guess, Somic, is that especially as this this season we're discussing tournament life, I've had a lot of you know high level TDs on the show, and a lot of the high level TDs have tons of experience in you know the analog OTB environment. Not as much trying to run and integrate online events. My guess is they'd be very interested in this sort of thing, particularly. Um, so is this another item? Is this an item that we could perhaps put up on along with the show notes? Um, just drop a link to, to the code there in case anybody wanted to tool around with it. Yeah. And what I, what I was going to say next is, uh, I, because I, I noticed that this first option, it was like pretty difficult to set up. Like if you've never programmed before, you would find, you'd find it very difficult. Mm. Uh, so what I did is a second option. Basically it, it's built on top of, the Leechus Swiss and arenas. So basically you could just run a Swiss tournament on Leechus as normal using the built-in Swiss or an arena. And at the end you have a tournament link, right? Right. So what, uh, what's, what anyone can do is they can just copy paste that tournament link, run it into the, this, uh, a different program I wrote and it will generate a USCF cross table. Wow. That's actually. I mean, to be honest, that that's probably one of the most useful tools I could imagine for a TD in the online tournament era. Yeah, uh, basically, all you would need is the tournament link and also like a key. So you'd say, "Oh, uh, username one two three is actually like 
John blank. And as you go, CF ID is this. So that the, the software needs that information. But as a TD, you should have that. If you're going to be rating a tournament. Yeah, you'd need to have the username to, to name. Anyway, you'd have to verify the players before you know they even participated in round one. Yeah, but once you have that information, you just run the program. It generates the USCF cross table for you, and then you can import that. And this is in the type of format that you can upload directly to our database for. for no, this is in the type of format that you could open with the free version of SwissSys, and then use the SwissSys. Got it. Yeah, so you'd have to put it in. You put it into SwissSys. I mean, there's instructions. There's like a readme on how to, how to make this work. But eventually, basically, you just have to download the free version of SwissSys, and then you can. Uh, open the files that my code generates in SwissSys to generate the USCF files. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I, that sounds like, as I mentioned, that sounds like an incredibly useful tool. I can tell you, you know, one of the questions I receive in, in my position pretty regularly these days as events are online is, <laughs> how do I do this? You know, How do I go from, hey, I've got a local club, I want to run an online tournament to success you know we submitted it for rating and it was rated and there's a lot of steps along the way and one of the steps that is most frequently a hang-up is well how do i report the results yeah um so i'm sure yeah i mean that's that's such a hang-up for a lot of tds i'm sure if, if that program is also available um our listeners would love to have that information and that link on, on how to access it too yeah so this was like because earlier i was rating some some of the events manually mm-hmm like arenas, you just it, it's just unmanageable. You can't rate them otherwise. And then for the some, some of the Swisses, it's just like difficult. But uh, eventually, like near the end and like late late summer, I was rating like seven, like like seven to ten tournaments, like seven tournaments a week. Just like yeah. I just run the program seven times, and that's that's all I would need to do. That's a lot easier than inputting all of those results manually seven times yeah. a week. Yeah. Yeah. Because it doesn't it doesn't matter if the tournament has ten players or a thousand players. It takes you, it takes the user the same amount of time to run. Right. Ru- to run a program versus typing out each result. Yeah. <laughs> when you have yeah. to do it the old-fashioned way, it matters greatly how many players there are. But but this sounds like a, a, fa- a fantastic shortcut and, and a very useful tool. We'll make sure to get that in there. Yeah. Uh, also, I, I wrote something similar for the States Cup. It's just just for me. But basically, since I have all of the match forms on, on Radically, I can, I can generate Swiss files so I can write the States Cup because the States Cup will be USC afraided. Oh, very cool. I wasn't aware of that. All right. So you, you know, when we had discussed it, you had mentioned it was, um, you know, more casual, not so, not so much, you know, competitive, but that rating element, I think, does add a different degree, you know, for a lot of players in terms of, um, you know, how they compete and, and how they view the tournament. So that's really great to hear. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to hear that. Yeah. Uh, so, and also, since the States Cup was free, uh, I ran like a uh, it costs money to rate tournaments, right? So I ran a GoFundMe and to cover those costs, and it it actually the GoFundMe finished pretty quickly. Within a few days, all my co- all the tournament costs were covered, which was great. So thanks to everyone who <laughs> donated to that. Hey, I, I feel like the the budding TDs out there listening to the show just need to be taking notes. You know, like <laughs> grant writing, GoFundMe, um, having having um, you know exciting events in between rounds because it really is. Um, you know, fantastic to hear all, all of these ideas that you've implemented. And and again, useful tools as well. Yeah. And thank you, Samak. I, I think um, that, that concludes our, our time here, but I, I appreciate you coming on and telling us a little bit about yourself, uh, telling us a lot about this uh, really great event that you've um, come up with. Did you have any final parting thoughts, maybe for organizers who are just getting started or, or people out there like you who just love chess and are interested and want to contribute something? Uh, I think just like do whatever you think would be fun. So like, I, I thought this would be fun. And I was, <laughs> I was wondering why there, there, there's nothing like it. So that's why I just put it on myself. Uh, so yeah, if you think there's anything that's missing in chess that you want to hold, you think other people would like it, then go do it. Awesome. Yeah. That's, that's great advice. You know, sometimes it's funny you phrased it that exact way, because sometimes I get questions from chess students um, who, I'm, who I'm working with and helping them improve their game. And, you know, they're like, well, you know, I just I want to do more, you know, in addition to what you're giving me, what more can I do? And my answer is always, well, you know, what do you enjoy? What do you think is fun? You know, if you want to work on something else this week, what do you like? Do you like watching a video? Do you like solving tactics? You know, whatever you wherever you get that enjoyment. 
um, follow that. And, and so I, I'm thrilled to hear your, your same answer for organizers. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me on. Absolutely. It's been a blast. Again, Samak Narayanan will get those links put up for the States Cup. Um, we would love uh, to get more teams involved. And, and if, if you're just hearing about it, go check it out. It's really cool. I haven't put up any show notes. Samak, thanks again. And I look forward to year two of the States Cup. Yeah. See you. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Chess Underground, a U.S. chess podcast. Please check out our entire suite of podcasts, which release every Tuesday, and include Ladies' Night with Jim Shahan, as well as Chess Life cover stories and One Move at a Time with Dan Lucas. U.S. Chess would like to thank Jason Andre at Seven Season Films Photography and Media for a podcast production and editing. If you are starting your own podcast, visit www.sevenseasonfilms.com for consulting, production, and editing. Until next time, signing off, Pete Carianis.